Hi, my name is Stevie Ray Kazi. And I'm Gretchen SB. And you're listening to Exceptionally Average Authors Explain It All. Where two exceptionally average authors talk about stuff. Hi everybody, editing Gretchen here. I know you're expecting the last of our nano episodes right now. However, due to some scheduling conflicts on my end, we weren't actually able to record that in time for this episode. This is probably for the best, because instead of hearing about our nano projects about six days before the month actually ends, you'll now hear about how our projects went after the month is over. So it'll be a more accurate representation of what nano was for Stevie and I. So that also gives you about a week, week and a half to contact Stevie and I through social media and let us know how your nano went because we're going to be doing shout outs for those authors and writers that did nano this month in that final episode. So until then, please enjoy the first in our series on pantsing versus plotting. When people started saying this is so good, I have I have no developmental edits and I hadn't even read the story yet myself. I was like, well, I'm buying this. Yay. Yeah. I'm glad that it was helpful for you. So walk me, me, walk me through how you've used Plotter from the get-go, because I'm thinking about using it for that short story collection that I'm doing. Uh-huh. And I, I'm not sure how to start, and I think that if you gave me a springboard, that might help. Okay, give me a second to, to pull up the right thing so I can make sure I'm giving you the right instructions instead of just word salad. Well, while we wait for your non-word salad, how what have you been up to since we last recorded? Other than finishing Quarantined with the Beast. Huzzah! Oh, I'm so excited that I finished it. Um, It's all the way done, and I'm so, so proud of it. And I said that I'm taking a break from writing in September, but I think really what I'm going to do is just, like, write flash fiction and fun stuff and just come to the computer not to do anything for anyone else for the month of September. So currently, I am focusing on other projects that I've been wanting to do for fun. And that includes a video project that I got asked to do, like, back in June that I still haven't gotten to. And I also just got hired as a voice actor. We're going to link to the Paper Flower Consortium again this episode. Elizabeth was in our episode on world building, our interview for world building, and that's who does the Paper Flower Consortium. So we will definitely do a link down there so that you can find the podcast because it's actually really fun to listen to. I like listening to it when I'm cooking. I don't know why I like listening to it when I'm cooking, but that's when I enjoy it the most. And you'll be able to hear Stevie's episode. That's a, That'll be so fun. I'm excited for you. Yeah. I get to play the the young vampire, the 14-year-old. They needed a young voice, which I was like, yeah, me. That sounds good. <laughs> I sound young. Uh, but she's, it's almost like this character was made for me because she is a lonely, homesick, newly turned 14-year-old vampire who is bringing a ghost dog home to the coven to try and convince them to let her keep it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that, that is you. That, that is you. So yeah, so I'll be working on that. I've got three episodes I'm going to be recording right now. I'm working on listening to her backstory on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about all I've been up to. What about you? 
Um, what have I been up to? A couple of things. I finally got super frustrated with the fact that my calendar post-it notes kept falling off of the wall and then not being sticky because our wall is textured. And I was getting mm-hmm. really irritated because I kept going through post-it notes that I went on Office Depot, made a like 18 by like 16 by 20 or 18 by 24, I don't remember, poster in Word that just has two weeks and then eight months out so that I've got a two week to-do list in Excel marker because I had you know laminated for Expo and then uh, the different like month goals below that and so my little like organizer heart is like ah. but at the same time it means that I don't get to continue filling out post-it notes and that's mildly upsetting but it also makes me look at it and be like oh man I am really far behind so mm. I did that but I feel better about the fact that I don't have post-its flying all over the place anymore as much that's nice you know that is always nice <laughs> yeah considering because, because like a firm wind through the window could ruin our whole plotting structure <laughs> <laughs> yes I've also completed mm. 40 out of 120 items on my to-do list I, I did write another 10,000 words in my fourth Holiton book. I have written three or four chapters in the serialized story I have up on my website. I haven't edited them though, so they're still just sitting on my computer. did do the first like 5,000 words of the short story collection that I was going to do. Excellent. I'm like, I wrote one short story. And you're like, (laughs) I did 40 things. It wasn't enough. I also don't have to take care of three young humans. That's true. I mean, like, am I doing that? It feels like barely at this point. (laughs) We've given up. Yeah, school's about to start next week, so we'll we'll see how that be. Uh, Yeah, the university's been kind of crazy the last couple weeks. So I'm just kind of like swirling with the pandemonium of work and trying to write, you know, during like my quote-unquote commute time would be right it's been an interesting juggling act but i had a comment or a question about you were saying that this month you're going to write flash fiction yeah have you thought about if you percolate in the back of your mind if you just write flash fiction for a month you would have enough to have a book collection of flash fiction that you could just ship off to your editor and then like publish either one at a time in Kindle Unlimited and then as a collection or just as a collection. And that would, one, pad how many titles you have on Amazon. Two, give your readers something to read that is short (laughs) because Mm -hmm. nobody has an attention span right now. And uh, it would also like give you that accomplished feeling because you're publishing even though you're not working on your main series. Is that even an option? Oh, no, I'm not against putting them out. I'm just trying to see what happens if I come to the table without that ad. the goal Mm. and then yeah at the end of the month if I have something good I absolutely would be like here is my baby love it like I do you Um, that's an excellent idea. I wonder if I should theme it. Do you feel like I guess I'll I I would have to do some research on like what do people who who read that do because I really do think that um shorts are a really strong point for me right now. Yeah. Um honestly especially I because I hesitate to take up space. Honestly, <laughs> and- I think that you should just write what comes to you and not do the research on marketing. Yeah. And then I'm fairly certain 
for as well as I know you, there will be an accidental theme. Yeah, <laughs> stories. it'll accidentally happen. My subconscious, man, it does some good things for me. I gotta <laughs> give it a high five lately because, you know, well done. Well done, subconscious. Yeah, yeah I, I think you'll be more prepped than you think. I hope so. I'm also um, using it a little bit as an opportunity to play with that artificial intelligence thing that I'm beta testing. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, that's what I started this morning while I was waiting to talk to you because I haven't written in September yet. And I threw some things at it like this isn't where I think the series is going. But if I take one of the characters and spun it off to do this short, how does the computer react Mm-hmm. without having the knowledge of what that series is. Because I you know, I haven't fed it any of that. What can it do on its own? And I've been playing with that and it's been kind of fun. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm gonna, I think I'm just gonna throw a bunch of wet noodles at the wall and see what happens. So for those who haven't heard about that episode, what is the artificial intelligence thing that you're helping beta test? Oh, okay. So there's a developer who has created a... And they haven't named it officially yet, even. That's how on the download beta it is. But it's a writer's assistant. So you go into the system and you give it 100 words. The more words you give it, the more accurate it's going to be. And the longer your your story gets, the more the computer's going to guess something that's reasonable. Um, but essentially, it, for me, fills the role of when I go to my spouse or my child and I go, I'm stuck at this point. What am I going to do next? And then they hand me a series of things that I reject until I figure out the answer. Sounds familiar. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm using it for because you can get it to generate the next sentence couple of sentences and you can say yes or no and really you could just give it a hundred words and then sit there generate and accept everything and come up with something that needs some editing but has decent bones um Hmm. which is helpful for me because I always feel like and this is my rough drafts man my rough drafts come out like some people's fourth draft because I want it to be right before I will let it be on the screen and that's why it takes me so long to write anything so it's a nice nice to take it with no pressure in a testing area when I'm testing other writing things and like I imagine an old cartoon chemist you know with the vials (laughs) like is it gonna explode am I gonna take down Tokyo I don't know but (gasps) I'm having fun figuring it out that's a really cute image mad scientist Stevie oh man I'm so cute as a mad scientist I am I won't lie I'm ridiculous I have the worst ideas (laughs) and I'm so fun was it Meet the Robinsons? It's been so long since the, I've like, seen that. The like quirky teacher. I, I think there, so. There's like a quirky mom science teacher type deal. Like that's what I imagine myself as. The only thing I remember from Meet the Robinsons is the dinosaur being like, I'm so big. I've got a big head and darting arms. Yeah, that's, that's all I remember. That's fabulous. Well, other than our minute tangent there, this is actually a pretty good segue into our topic this week. We are starting our sequence on plotting versus pantsing. And the reason we smashed these two together is because there is this internal debate amongst authors on whether it is better to plot ahead of time or whether it's better than to just fly by the seat of your pants and write as you go. And while Stevie and I tend to fall on separate camps in this one, we also smudge the lines a little bit. And we I think I'm safe to say a lot of us authors do. No one is straight down the line, one or the other. And so we wanted to put them together to show that they actually work well together. And so, Stevie, you identify as what you call a discovery plotter, correct? Yeah, yes, I definitely. Discovery plotter is my thing. I will run the same way that some people will draft who who are discovery writers will just draft their whole first draft um, I do that with outlines and then I run it through lots of different plot structures 
and it changes a bunch of times until it's not even the story that I thought it was and then I write it. And what do you mean um, by The reason I do it that way is because in the past when I have tried to plot, I've plotted and gotten somewhere around 12,000 words into a story before I realized that the main character was someone else and I'm just really sick of doing that is so much time. Um, and I also, I don't write linearly and I don't like rereading my own work but in an outline since it like there's so little expectation of an outline you don't even have to know the guy's name you can have a card that just say words go here it's a lot less threatening to discover in that way and when you say structure what do you mean uh can you be more specific like like plot plot structures is that i like to learn things i like to learn things to like hysterical degrees um (laughs) and i like patterns and so i'm always deconstructing how stories are written what makes them psychologically satisfying what violates our rules, etc. And I started out last year with the Save the Cat beat sheet. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I'll start with that one. Or the Hero's Journey is another one that a lot of people are familiar with. So I will make all get, hit all the major plot points in that. Even if it's just a sentence of like, this is the scene that's going to satisfy the call to adventure beat or you know the ordeal beat whatever that may be but then I go through it another time and I try to add a different plot structure everything I write so that I can see because some of them are more appropriate for certain types of fiction and then others for example I really enjoyed Dan Harmon's story circle for the short story that I wrote uh it's an eight beat series uh and I believe he used it when he wrote community I'm not positive so it's really nice for a shorter format still hits all the beats Mm -hmm. and then I would run those two things against each other the save the cat and the story circle make sure that I hit everybody's beats put them against each other to see where those beats line up what does everything have in common what are the minimum things I need to make this story successful and then I ran that through the plot dot by Derek Murphy for my like feeling shift and symbolism and color check wow and that's what I did that's what I did for my short story was those three plot structures on top of each other in plotter which was beautiful it's so good it's even color coded I love it so much Uh, but there are lots of other options and plotter has templates for them Mm -hmm. so they have the three story method which I think I talked about about studying right before I got plotter I went to the webinars for the three story method seven point plot structure they even have romancing the beat which is the that's my favorite 15 beat save the cat but for romance right yes so I do that and I create timelines and then once I am convinced that I have all the information that I need for each beat then I go through and write like a sentence about it like what is the conflict what does the protagonist need what are the colors change and a motive change for the scene? And then I create an outline from that. Hmm. Okay. What do you mean by color change for the scene? Well, I write in fantasy and fiction, and there are certain symbolic elements that cue your readers emotionally or set up things later in the story. For example, colors like blue, gray, tend to have like a sadder emotive. So if I'm starting a scene in a, in a sad way, then the person might be looking at something that is the color that makes you feel sad. It's okay. a psychological plotting device. Interesting. And then at the end of the scene, if the if the feeling is supposed to be like happy, then you can throw in color with, you know, like sunshine is a pretty popular one or sunflowers. You see it a lot in lit fic, but it has a lot of really powerful elements in genre fiction as well. 
And it really helps you carry the scene to make sure that you're not falling flat emotively. It also helps me personally because I don't tend to visualize things very well. Uh, I I just don't want to know more about like what the boardwalk looks like than I do about the character motivations. Mm, Yeah. That makes sense. You put a lot of thought into your plotting. It, Yeah, I do. I really, really do. It has to be a certain way. Also, it's a fun game for me. Like, that's the best part for me. I love to discover what my subconscious will do. And then once I line it all up and say, you know, I, I have everything I need and I can set you loose and just let you do your thing. My brain does some fantastic setups for me. Like, high five subconscious. I wish you were like the actual conscious. <laughs> can you drive please you are more proficient but yeah I guess I have to give myself a structure or a framework that can stand on its own before I'll play so I have uh, a question then what's a big problem for okay. me that if I'm writing and I know how it ends I don't want to finish the story because I already know how it ends which is why I pants uh-huh. more often do you ever feel that since you plot it through three different devices and are rewriting it and all this stuff are you ever just like you know what I already know how this ends I have no reason to continue writing it or is it just more of a oh I've now changed it again so it's almost fresh and and new I have a little bit of both. There are times when, usually when I'm already not feeling like writing and I'm looking for an excuse to, I really just want to tell somebody about the outline because I'm excited about the potential of the story more than I want to sit down and be like, why do I have to tell you about how it happened? I already told you how it happened. (laughs) I've already said this. Why do I have to say it another way? (laughs) Really, what's in the outline about how it ends, I don't always know. Like, I knew for the... Beauty and the Beast one that my goal was for her to have a dog in a library but I didn't know I didn't write the end scene and know what that was going to look like and so the way that it all comes together towards the very end when everything's tying together and I can see the accidental symbolism that my brain just filled in on its own but I do act two is where I start to go like eh. I think everybody has trouble in act two we're like no I want the I want the cool part in the beginning and the cool part at the end and I want to get like some summaries in the middle but why so many words yeah <laughs> Yeah, so a little bit, but it doesn't, it's even worse if I don't know what's going to happen. My first series that I did was, the prequel was based on a story that I came up with in the middle of science class where I saw the ending first. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's the first thing I get and it doesn't matter. Interesting. And a lot of it is like, I'm. it's not even about what happens. How do the characters feel? Who are they? What are Like, I want to know that. Why does it happen that way? Why does it have to happen that way? What about these characters makes it that way? And that's what I'm discovering when I'm writing. Makes sense. Cool. Not always sure if I do. <laughs> no, it does. It's interesting because even though both you and I are doing the same thing and we're both generally writing fantasy, how can I phrase this? The way you and I approach writing is so different it's fascinating to hear you describe it and i'm just sitting here going i would have never seen it like that and so i'm trying to imagine what it would be like to approach the book that way Uh and so i'm just kind of sitting here going well you know imagining putting myself in that position to see if that would make a difference yeah it's been a wild ride man because i started full-on pantser and i did the series that followed, the prequel was the first thing I did for Nano. I wrote by the seat of my pants based on an idea from like 15 years ago and did it. And my subconscious pulled together really well. But, and I say this to my therapist a lot too. I have Tom Cruise syndrome, which is I'm a good something, but I want to be a better something. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so that's how I got started plotting because I I was feeling really stressed in that trilogy about like how am I going to wrap this up? How is it going to end? And the way I wanted it to end because I was in such a bitter place was so not going to work for what I was writing. <laughs> I thought plotting was going to be more helpful to me than it has. I think I, I started plotting a little bit with Viking sensitivity. So like the fourth book I did. Mm-hmm. And then I for sure plotted out the majority of doll making Delta, which is by far my, I don't want to say worst because it's not bad. It was the first contemporary romance that I, I fully wrote. It was the first book I fully plotted out and it just, it wasn't as good good as I knew it could have been mm-hmm. if that makes sense and I published it anyway I've since taken it down um, yeah you can read it for free if you join my mailing list but like other than that unless you've already bought it there's nowhere to find it I, I plotted the whole thing out I knew where it was going to go I wanted I, I I stacked a bunch of stuff up against me it was my first time plotting pretty much the whole book my first contemporary romance after writing all fantasy I had to get it done, I think in like a month or two, and I decided that because it was a clean romance, I should make it the same length Harlequin makes their romances, which is mm-hmm. 50 to 55k. I know now that that story is the same as my Lantern Lake series. It's 30,000, it's a 30,000 word story, mm-hmm. but I don't know whether that just burned me from plotting, but since I already knew how it was going to end and the final scene, I just, I'm amazed by anyone that can plot a whole book and not get bored (laughs) (laughs) that's so interesting my subconscious creative brain goes but we already know how this one goes and we have all these other books to write can't we do those now interesting so you are you just completely by the senior pants you just sit Um, down and go or not 100 percent. i i i don't know whether it's a subconscious plot or what but it'll be like with holiton I, I have to pants the whole thing. I can't plot the Holiton books at all. I know several plot points throughout the series, not necessarily the stories. Like, I know what the ending scene is going to be, which is funny. I was talking to my dad on the phone the other day, and he was asking me about it. And I was like, well, I don't know how this book's going to end, but I know that certain things have to happen with the overall plot. And he goes, well, what if you ended the series like this? He has read the first half of the book and then lost it somewhere and stopped reading it. And so like, he's going based on the information he has from the first half of the book. And I'm like, that wouldn't work, Dad. I already know how it ends. And he goes, well, how does it end? And I'm explaining it to him. And I'm explaining all the threads that I had to tie together because I had a lot going in that series. And he goes, that's, that's a lot. And you only have three books left? And I go, well, most of that's going to be in the last book. He's like, are you sure you're not going to need seven books? And I'm like, no, Dad. That's all going to be in these few couple scenes in the end of the book because that is how I set it up. And he's like, that's a lot. It was pretty funny. But like, I know that that is how the series ends. I know that that is uh, like the series tie ups, but I don't know how we're getting there quite how, like from here, point A and point F. And I don't know anything in between, which is, I think, the thing that keeps me writing in that series because I don't know how we're going to get there and if it's going to change again. But with my clean romances that are 30,000 words, I didn't want to make the mistake that I made with the doll making Delta. So uh-huh. I have a poster that is. I think uh, 11 by 17 and it is the romancing the beat points Uh 
and I have them there so that I can be like, okay, where am I in the story? I am about a third of the way through, and I look at the romancing the beats, and I go, okay, have I had the no way one? Have I had the no way two? Have I had the inkling of desire? Have I done, these are all plot points in that plot structure. Have I done the maybe it could work yet? And if I haven't done those, then I'm like, okay, well, in the next two scenes, I have to get those done in order to make sure that I have a fully rounded romance story versus a slice of life romance where they're just wandering around. That's kind of the only plotting that I've been doing is I'll go. I know overarching themes like with Holiton and to an extent the Night World series, but with the Lantern Lake books, I, I know what most of the books are and I know that they all have to reach those plot points. I just don't plan how to do it ahead simply because if I know how it ends and how everything gets there, my subconscious won't want to write it. That makes sense. So you're really essentially discovering the story for yourself for real. Yeah. Do you always write linearly or can you can you mix it up without plotting and then not have that make you cry at the end? Because that's the uh, main problem I had with my first book I, was that I didn't, I didn't write it linearly. I didn't plot anything. And then it took me three years to piece it together. I didn't write Berman's Wolves linearly, but that was on accident. And I didn't write Holiton linearly because I was like, I would write a scene and be like, oh, that makes me think of this other scene. So then I would write that scene, but I'd put it in the bottom of the document and I would just keep moving it down until I found a spot for it to work. Interesting. But for the most part, I write linearly simply because if I don't know what's going to happen, I can't really write out of line. Plus, if I write out of linear order, then you're kind of like, well, I really want this scene in the book. And that was a problem I had with, I think, one or two, one or two scenes from either Berman's Wolves or Hollis, I don't remember which, was I really wanted these scenes in the book, but they weren't. I got to the end of the book and there was no place for them. And... I found myself trying to figure out a way to knit them into the story. And I was like, no, 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 it doesn't fit. You need to cull it. So I have documents that I call notes and they'll have notes for the books, but they'll also have scenes that were edited out that I liked because I might be able to use them later. And even if I don't like, you know, you're killing your darlings, but not really because it's in a separate document. So it's still alive. It's just not in canon. Right. Well, it makes great little like bonus scenes for your (laughs) newsletter. Yeah alternative alternate endings i dig it yeah the i think the only plotting like sincere plotting that i do for my main full-length books is that if i reach a point where i'm just like running out of steam i will then do notes and then plot where i think the next chapter needs to go and i'll do like a paragraph or two on they need to do this 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 and this then the next chapter then the next chapter and sometimes i'll end up doing like half of the book depends on how much steam i get or it'll only be two or three chapters and then by the time i write those chapters out more like flush them out more fully i'll be like okay i know what happens next and i use it as a launching point to then keep going but it's it's never the whole or very rarely the whole book the one exception is the serialized book that i'm doing and that's only because i came up with this ridiculous idea that i was going to title the chapters and i thought that I would be ingenious and do titles for the chapters that match the chapters, obviously. And it would just be one saying, only notes that I had for the entire plot. And so I got like 25 chapters in, and then I was looking at these going, what the hell did this mean? Like, <laughs> this mm. one sentence, what does this mean? What was this supposed to be? I have, I have something like that, actually. I have a little note card for, I'm not even sure which book it goes in. 
been either the second or third in my series. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is what this is why I plot, guys, is because otherwise I end up with gems such as <laughs> sense of it for yourself if you can. I never have been able to. Well, friend. I cannot make sense of this note card, so I'm not sure that we'll make it in a book. <laughs> it was like my past me talking to present me about this idea. It was, oh my gosh. It was supposed to be a line, but really it was just me talking to myself about like, you're not going to know what this is later. Good for you. That is fantastic. Yeah, no, my whole book would just be note cards like that if I didn't plot it. Well, I think our next episode, we are going to have an interview with uh, an expert when it comes to writing. Stevie, you're the one doing the interview. Want to introduce our interview for the next episode? Yes. The person I'll be interviewing's name is Wei, and he is a writing teacher. He actually is getting the chance to teach creative writing this year at a local college um, where he's been teaching for a long time. He just hasn't done creative writing specifically. In his free time, he does a lot of screenwriting, and he has been testing out different writing platforms and products, which he shares on YouTube, and we'll link to that when we do the interview. But, oh man, he has such cool things. I'll let him talk about himself, but, oh, it's going to be fun. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm really interested. Oh, he's so cool. We I got to hang with him at a socially distanced thing this weekend, and we, you know, we started out talking about the kids, and what we ended up with was... Well, what are you doing in your free time without all of this stuff? And next thing I know, we're talking about community and mm-hmm. the downfall of community in seasons five and six and whether or not the character switches violated Benford's law. And that's why it sucked. <laughs> and this is just for fun. So, yeah, he's a great person to just bounce everything off of. That'll be cool. So what what book recommendations do you have for our lovely listeners this episode, Stevie? All right. So my recommendation this episode, because I am getting the pleasure of playing Norma is a book called Immortal House where Norma was first introduced and it is a book about a vampire in Seattle trying to buy a house and it is a comedy right? and it yeah I mean yeah. like <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's selfish a, 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 a vampire trying to buy a house how could it not be like I love it so much <laughs> you can even see like on the cover it has the main character and he says I fear the sun but Seattle's prices are simply terrifying <laughs> yes, I've seen this cover. It's hilarious. Yeah. My husband, who worked in real estate, said that Elizabeth definitely did her research on the Seattle housing market. Well, the Seattle housing market is kind of, I don't know if it's like the rest of the country, but it is kind of wonky here. But apparently it's simply terrifying. <laughs> That's to somebody who's already dead. Um <laughs> I have two this week, and it'll make sense. The first one is a Audible original that I was listening to yesterday, and it's called Caffeine by Michael Pollan. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. And it's like a two and a half hour audiobook, and I'm sure it's a written book as well. And the reason I'm recommending it is because, especially those of us in the Seattle area, we consume a lot of coffee. <laughs> he talks about caffeine, and he put himself on like a three month hiatus from all caffeine just to see how his body reacts. And he talks about going through the withdrawals and visiting. A, like a coffee plantation, you know, where they're farming and all this. Yeah. And one of the things that he mentions is he's talking to like a circadian rhythm expert, I think it was. And one of the things the guy says is that what people don't realize is that uh, like a cup of coffee's half-life is like 12 hours. So if you have a cup of coffee at like noon, there that caffeine is still riding in your system at midnight. And I was kind of like, oh, <laughs> that's that's interesting. And so there's this little, it's, it's very much an anecdote 
anecdotal book and it's interesting and it's entertaining, but there are little nuggets in there where you're just like, oh, maybe this is why we're not sleeping as well. And he talks about how when he, after three months, goes back and has a, a cup of coffee, uh, he finds himself trying to have a second one the same day later. And he's just like, I just rode this high and then I just was jonesing for another one. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> this is this is addict behavior. And I was just kind of like, yes, yes. So that one was really interesting. But the recommendation I was going to give this week is another sort of middle grade book. And it is Nevermore, The Trials of Morrigan Crow by Jessica Townsend. And I am listening to this book for the second time. I listened to it from the library and I loved it so much that I bought it on Audible just because, you know, I've been listening to audiobooks while I've been working. And it's it's so cute. It's this little girl. I think she's 11 or 12. And she is a cursed child. Like mm -hmm. kids that were born on this specific day are considered cursed children. So you spend the first part of the book with her. Her dad is just like this grumpy, uh, he's some, some form of government and he's like not a pleasant parent her mother isn't in the picture and they have these monthly meetings with a caseworker where basically because she's a cursed child she gets blamed for all these random things that happen like jam going bad or somebody who was like 90 years old that decided to went go ice skating broke their leg and they're like yeah that's that's all her fault and she's like but i they're 90 and they're ice skating how is that my fault well they walked by your property and you said hello to them and she said i didn't know such thing so her dad has to pay like compensation for all of this stuff because she's a cursed child it's totally ludicrous and the cursed children die on a specific day of the year or right. their cycle Basically, it's not year, it's like the age, they call it the age. And so the age ends up being only 11 or 12 years and they're destined to die on that day. And so what happens is that she ends up, without ruining it, avoiding that fate uh, due to this very quirky mentor that she gets on her birthday, like the day she's supposed to die. And he introduces her to this whole world of, of magic and he ends up sneaking her into this magic realm illegally. And so you get to see this whole normal quote-unquote normal world kid even though it's an imaginary place walking into this like wonder sphere and experience the world from the same point of view we the reader do because she's just like wait why is that cat talking and they're like why have you never seen this before it's an adorable story and it's really cute and it i always love young adult books that have a strong female lead so that's that's the big one for me is that she's very even though she was born a cursed child she's very sure of herself and even though there are times where she feels bad and you know like any of us would it's just kind of like oh i'm sorry i'm sorry she stands up for herself quite a bit, and I really, really appreciate that. Great read. It is. It's fantastic. I, I really enjoy it. And the second book is out now. It wasn't when I read it, and the third one's coming out later this year. So I'm just like, yes. <laughs> well, that is it for us. We'll see you next time. Happy reading, guys. Bye. Bye.